Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 221. I'm your host, Derek Moore. With me once again is my semi-permanent co-host, CEO of Zega Financial, Jay Pastricelli. Hello, semi-permanent co-host. How are you doing today? Hello, permanent host, Derek Moore. Good to be here. That's what it would sound like if we let AI just, you know, record our voices and come up with uh, just, hey, AI, do, do the podcast. Yeah, can we get it to just connect to like the happiest, most energetic we've ever sounded and then just do it? Maybe so. Maybe so. I don't know. I mean, all right. I didn't plan on talking about ChatGPT. Maybe I did, Jay, a little bit. But I just, I found an interesting stack. Global X had this thing out. We'll start here, by the way. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just start. By the way, there's a real relevance to the market these days, right? I, but, and so I think this, this, this is, a, this is yes. important to, to kind of watch what's happening right now. Yeah, because we we tie this into the investment themes, and I think back to March of 2000. So the Global X had a report on AI, and there's a really interesting graph, and I'll kind of the audience can't see it, but it's basically how long did it take for Netflix, TikTok, Google Translate, Instagram, and then ChatGPT to reach a hundred million users. And to give you an idea, Google Translate, six and a half years. Netflix, it took 10 years to reach 100 million users. Now, Netflix is a paid service. So, you know, these other ones aren't paid services. Uh, two and a half years for Instagram, nine months for TikTok. Jay, two months for ChatGPT to reach 100 million users. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's straight up, right? I mean, like, if you look at it, it's, it, it's very quick, very Quick, quick, quick adoption. It's kind of amazing. I, yeah, and like you, even compared to something like TikTok, it's not like you know the technology, the savviness of uh, uh, of you know users for these kinds of things have changed. I mean, TikTok is a very recent phenomenon itself. I'd like to know how many high school students are in that chat GPT hundred hundred million users, but you know that'd be interesting to know. Is it the same overlap with TikTok? Oh, I thought you the way you were going is they are doing their assignments on ChatGPT. Well, oh no, I am. I am. That's what I'm I am saying that. And uh, so look, I know, by the way, my son is in high school. Actually just graduated last night. Nice. Um, from high school. It's a proud moment for the Pestricelli household. Uh, but I know that even, you know, teachers now put um, they have tools that they run, you know, essays through uh, an AI filter and detector detection. And uh, like the result, it'll highlight what, you know, language from somebody's uh, paper uh, came directly out of an AI engine. So it's already, it's good that there is, I know, Derek, that's always been a concern of yours with copywriting and those kinds of things. I'm sorry we got on this topic. But when I saw the TikTok users, I was like, yeah, it's probably students too as a big adoption because I know they're using it and teachers are already having to kind of use the tools to defend it. It's almost like AI has created its own little ecosystem of, hey, here's this thing. Maybe it's dangerous. You should buy this protection from us too. Like that. <laughs> I won't use any other analogies. <laughs> well, no, I mean, and I, and I teach, uh, as I've said before, you know, I, I say on the side, which doesn't diminish the effort I put into it, but it's not something I do full time. And yeah, I mean, we have tools. We have what's called a similarity uh, tool. And you can run a paper through and it will show, highlight the areas, show where it was submitted before, where it came from. 
And yeah, I mean, I'm aware of a, a chat GPT plugin even that, that will tell you whether it's, uh, you know, AI generated content as you, well. You find so, anybody using it, Derek? I can either confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the, the reason why we want to talk about this though is, is sort of AI, is it driving market returns? And, and am I, you know, what's the, what's the famous quote that a lot of people in our industry use? History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Like this feels like March of, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. But then again, it doesn't. Because back then, I mean, you remember the hot stocks were like Netflix, not Netflix, uh, Netscape. Uh, it's not even around anymore. You had all these different, but I mean, it, it sort of feels like the companies that are being bought, I mean, certainly NVIDIA, which is, uh, you know, that's up over 100%. Meta is up over 100%. Microsoft, Google, Apple, not so much. And Apple doesn't really, maybe we can get into that. They don't really have an AI thing. But I mean, I and I, I sort of joked a couple of weeks ago, Jay, it's like, um, are some of these companies the Levi's of, of this era? And anyone who doesn't get that, Levi's was born out of the the gold rush and the and the workers would buy Levi's to and that company's still around. Still as a stock, by the way. So I don't know, Jay. I mean, what do you think here? Well look, look, there's absolutely no doubt that the leaders of the last few weeks in the stock market have had some connection to AI. Unless somebody had some weird, you know, blow it in earnings. But you look at NVIDIA is supposed to have the chip that works best for AI. Microsoft and Google clearly pressing higher through the, uh, I'm going to say the awareness of AI. And you know what I, I think about, um, like our generation, Derek, we're the internet generation, right? Like when we were in yes. high school, I'm going to date ourselves. There was, there was no email, but, uh, not even an internet, right? So like our generation, well, high school, college, there was no, there was no email. Well, listen, I was, I was not, I wasn't even going that far. That's true. But you're right. So the point is, like, our generation, we're Gen Xers, right, has kind of seen this adoption of the Internet. The generation of us before us, right, when you look at our parents, experience something very different. I think the Gen Zers, you know, my son, maybe your son is in that category. He's a little younger. That this is going to be the generation of AI. And uh, I'm really it's, you know, we're, I'm I'm hopeful that we learned a lot from you know, social media, I had always thought they would be the social media generation. Maybe that's the millennials, right? The first selfie takers. But really, like, I think this is a major, it's, it's, it's not just headlines any longer, right? We're, we're seeing real dollars flow into the largest companies in America, the largest tech companies that are, you know, it's absolutely making a difference in the stock market. And absolutely, in my opinion, that is the story of what is pushing this market, uh, especially over the last few weeks, to being up, like, what are we up, seven, eight, at one point we're up 9%, right? These are things like that are really kind of pushing the equity markets up. I think, I think there's a lot to explain just pointing to the uh, uh, speculation about AI making its way into every aspect of our life delivered to us through the largest American companies. I agree. And I, and I think it's, there's a productivity thing to this as well. And net profit margins, we've talked about it before on, on this podcast, Jay. It's the more, the higher the profit margins 
And then if you grow sales and your profit margins are good, you that all flows to earnings. So there is a component, in my opinion, that you look at this and you say, what if AI is this next generational thing? And when I think about generational things, it's like, oh, the steam engine or the automobile. I mean, think about if you were a major distribution company, it doesn't matter what product, before the automobile or trucks, you got the horse-drawn carriages going around. Like your, your productivity or your, uh, your efficient frontier of economic growth can't really expand without innovation. So there might be something to be said. And even companies that don't use are not necessarily directly related to AI, they could get the benefits. I always look at Domino's Pizza versus Google. By the way, I think Domino's is still has a cumulative growth rate higher than Google, but I'd have to take a look at that. Like Domino's leverages all of the technology to, to grow its business. It's a logistics company. It's, uh, it's really a tech company. But yeah, I mean, I think this is a big part of it, Jay. And I, I think it's really flowing to the, the mega cap tech. I mean, they were, there was some discussion about that today on CNBC. So um, yeah, I mean, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, it just, yeah. So I, let me kind of stop there, Jay. Anything else on that? Uh, no, no, that's it. We're saying the same thing. Let's, let's keep moving to where you can actually see this in the data. All right. Well, why don't you take this one, Jay? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, right. Uh, we just talked about how, um, how these, these companies, the, the, the large cap tech companies are really kind of holding up the market. And if you were to kind of take a look at, you know, the percentage of say the S and P that is made up of the U.S. tech stocks, it's always, you know, there's always been a little bit of a, I don't know, a dig on the S&P because it's always been criticized like, oh, the market was up because, you know, five or six or 10 stocks have really dragged the whole market up. Well, it's kind of got to the point where that, you know, continues to be the same uh, situation. So if you were to, this is not my data, this comes from uh, CNBC, which I know Derek from time to time may criticize. But from time to time, uh, there's information there that I think is pretty pretty relevant. Um, there is uh, some information out that shows us that we are kind of at a level where the tech relative price performance versus the S and P is kind of pressing near near you know some high levels. You know, levels seen back. Uh, gosh, I think we've seen this level once before in 1974. We've seen this level back in like the 2000s. So, you know, what this means is that the like, tech is becoming a bigger and bigger portion of the S&P, which is why when you look at the NASDAQ pressing to all time, not all time, one year highs, it's not surprising that it's dragged uh, the S&P up a little bit. So, Derek, like, how, how rare is this that we're seeing it right now? I mean, when we always think about probabilities and, and distribution. So a, a two standard deviation move would be, 95% of the time, you're below two standard deviations when, when you move. So just think about that, you know, 5% of the time. And these valuations, you know, tech relative to the S&P, it's the highest it's been, at least on this chart from Bank of America going back to 1926. And, you know, you mentioned the dates, I think, you know, was it 70, 2000, and, and now. So it's stretched, but I don't know necessarily it's necessarily saying that it's going to crash and go the other way. 
But this is pretty rare. Like two standard deviation moves are significant, Jay, right? Yeah, I mean, any two standard deviation event is considered rare. And, you know, with all of these data points that you have, right, uh, uh, going back to 1926, when you look at the weighting, yeah, this is this is fairly uh, uh, uncommon, to say the least, to have even this much overweighting uh, in the S&P uh, for, the, for the tech holdings. Yep, for sure. I don't know if this is necessarily bad or not. And this goes back to indexing. Like if you buy the index and, and we're big proponents of, of buying the market and hedging and um, or having buffers or and now, you know, we're in a bunch of different strategies as well that that uh, that offer a compliment to, let's say, long only. But, you know, we buy the index because the whole point is you just don't know. You don't know which of these companies like at one point, Apple was not the biggest company in the world. Apple wasn't in the S&P 500. It had to get into the S&P 500. So that's one of the benefits. And I know when people start looking at this and saying, well, it's awfully top heavy or wait a second, tech is driving everything. Isn't that okay? Like who cares? You're getting the benefit if you're indexed. Yeah, right. I mean, look, if we were going to say, look, go with the equal weighted S&P because there's a lot of, you know, talk about whatever all of the, the talk at the beginning of the year looked like that would tell you that tech is not going to be the leader in 2023 and we decided to take a position that was more you know like an equal weighted guess what you would find yourself being in a position uh lagging the S&P by about 7% because equal weighted is flat for the year right so you're right Derek the the going with the indexes and following the index methodology you know will 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 take away having to make that that call right which is why we do lean towards that you know the S&P, and this may be a little bit of an older stat, over five over a five-year period, the S&P beats 80% of money managers. Over a 10-year period, beats 90-plus percent of money managers. So I, my default has always been, let's just start with what beats most people, right? And that's why we stick with the S&P 500. You mentioned the, the underperformance of, let's say, the equal. Let's talk about this quickly. Actually, it doesn't have to be quickly. I don't know why I said that, Jay. It's... Uh, but yeah, equal weight, equal weight. And that's that was a big deal when that came out. I remember that pitch. It was, hey, why not put money in every one of the stocks equally? And then it's just, uh, you know, you got money on each horse, so to speak. And that was a big deal when that came out. But yeah, that's flat. The S&P 100, which would be the top 100 companies. And we just went through how mega, cap, mega caps and specifically mega cap tech is really driving this thing. Uh, this was at Michael Cantro put this out on Twitter. It was as of May twelfth. Yeah, I mean the S and P one hundred was up about a little over eleven percent. S and P a little over seven. Equal weight flat. S and P four hundred flat. Russell was down one point three seven percent. Microcaps down six percent. So it's all been big tech, all of it. That's been driving things. So. But I don't know if I care what drives it. Alyssa, I'm glad I'm in the thing that's, Alyssa, yeah, I'm glad I'm in, we're in the thing that is going up more than the others. Like, I don't know, like that's not to be, not to be, you know, crass about it. But yeah, and look, and generally that, that can happen. Um, you know, you have brought up a point in the past, Eric, um, kind of about the small caps related to the mid caps and the large caps, right? And 
you know, historically speaking, coming out of, uh, of a market sell-off or even a recession, small caps have historically been stronger coming out of it. But we don't, we're not seeing that this year, right? You just said the Russell was down 1.3%, 1.4%. Micros are down 6%, right? So it's interesting um, that, you know, the S&P, the, what I'll call the broader large cap market, is really being held up by uh, by large cap tech and uh, where the the normal kind of products that would or normal stocks that would lead the bounce are not leading. So I don't know. It's tough to interpret what that means in this environment because it's a fairly unique environment. I mean, also the the profit margins have held up. Uh, and I'll also say too, you know, we started this discussion talking again about AI and about. Uh, I don't want to say it's a gold rush because it's just different. All right. So I, I'm not going to give any of the tickers. I'm not going to say any of the funds. It doesn't matter. But before we went on air, I was looking around and, and are there AI ETFs? And there are some, and some of them combine it with robotics. But I look on there and you look at the top 10 holdings and guess what they all have? They have NVIDIA. They have, you know, so it's like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're in there. And I, I do think, and I agree, I think we agree on this, that some of this AI stuff is really driving it. There's a bit of a gold rush right now, but it's, it's the normal companies you'd think of. So I don't know. I mean, small caps is interesting, though, because, you know, March of 20, internally, I think, I, I shouldn't say we, we weren't joking around, but like we were saying, hey, if we were going to call a bottom here, like, and you really wanted to take a bunch of risk, what would you do? Well, you do small caps or small cap international value, like the smaller, the better. And you do triple C bonds. But you're right. I mean, this, I think this surprised a lot of people. And maybe that's part of it too, that I, I you got to think people were underweight tech. They were tilting towards value. They were tilting towards other things. And they, they did not have an allocation to tech. And as tech starts outperforming, Returns chase returns, right? That happens. That happens. And now you've got a catalyst for it with, uh, ooh, everyone's talking about AI. So, yep. Just on these big stocks too. So this was a chart that uh, I think this is from Yardini, but if somebody else put it on Twitter. So it's the uh, the FANG. Well, it's, it's FANGs with M. So M has to be the Microsoft, right? So Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, and Microsoft. Yep. So those are the one, two, three, four. Yeah, six. And they put this out and it was the forward PE ratio. So forward PEs, of course, are how many times analyst expectations for what earnings are going to be in the next 12 months, how many times those projected earnings is a stock trading. Jay, this is um, Nvidia's not on here. I guess Nvidia is not a fang yet, but we'll leave that aside. It probably should replace the 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 end of Netflix, but okay, that's a different conversation, I guess. Yeah, maybe so. These are. I'll just go through some of these. Microsoft is trading at twenty eight point six times forward earnings. Google twenty point five. Netflix twenty seven point four. Apple twenty seven point four. Amazon fifty six times. That surprised me a little bit. And Meta, Facebook trading 18.2 times. I don't know when this, uh, I believe this is rather recent, but 
I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, I guess I want to talk a little about the concentration in the S&P 500 with the weightings. But is this problematic or, you know, relative to where they've been? I guess they're not that high, right? I, I, they're not. I mean, I wasn't sure if you were going to take the fundamental angle on me and I was going to, you know, push back on that a little bit. But, you know, you could argue that, you know, from a forward PE perspective, these are, you know, more expensive now than they were last year. Um, and PE is kind of a fundamental data point, right? I mean, I shouldn't say kind of, it absolutely is price to earnings ratio. And so, I, but I'm looking, Derek, you look back to 2020, 2019, they're kind of in the same range, right? With the exception of, of Amazon and Netflix. When you say you were surprised by Amazon, I, you know, it's at 56, but it's been as high as over 100, right? So uh, fairly recently. So it's one of those things, I don't know, Amazon's always got, a, always got an extra kick on its PE ratio, right? That's, I don't think there's any surprise there. And it's always been the, the uh, um, kind of the dig on the stock because it's always been expensive and it's hard for a fundamental investor to buy into that. Even during, you know, the pandemic of 2020, it, you know, it went from a 60 to a hundred PE ratio for a PE ratio. So like where it is today is kind of on its low end. You could argue Amazon is cheap here if you look historically, but fundamentally you're still not going to get the, you know, the value investors investing in Amazon to see Netflix come all the way down from its over 100 uh, for PE down to now being in the, the 27 range is, I think, you know, uh, probably a good reflection of the problems that company may or may not be having from a cost perspective, right? They're trying to make changes. They're changing their, right? They're constantly raising the rates, changing their, you know, users from being able to, uh, or challenging their users to not, you know, share so many logins. On that same note, throwing this in here randomly, just saw Disney was cutting some of its content, right? They're trying to cut costs on their streaming business. So streaming looks like it's in a bad spot and Netflix is definitely reflective of that. But, you know, what, based on what we just talked about uh, with regard to AI, when you look at Google and Microsoft, I don't think they're necessarily expensive at all comparatively. They're less than the end of 2021 evaluations. So there you go. I guess the, the thing is, by the way, Netflix is interesting because take away the name and just look at the, the forward PE ratio and then think about their, what is it, their TAM, total addressable market. And think about, you know, Tesla's, on, Tesla's not on here. This happens to companies. Like most companies, investors are paying for some level of future growth and they're willing to pay up. But as a company matures, it's you have better ideas of what the realistic expectation of profits and revenues will go going forward will be. And it's just sort of the natural inclination of this. You know, this this chart here we're looking at it only goes back to 2013. Jay, if we were looking at the late 90s and threw Microsoft in here, there used to be a massive forward PE, right? Yep. Yep. They're used to. By the way, not sure if you knew this, Derek, Netflix up 25% for the year. Right. So even though the PE is coming down, it's up. Right. So that tells me, that, well, if PE is coming down and the stock is up, that means the earnings are up. I don't know. I didn't prepare for this. 
Yeah, look, that's what I said. I threw. I said I didn't think you were ready for that one because, you know, I was like, oh, I'm just throwing in a chart. It, it had a nice pop a few days ago, but still, it's been up. It's outperformed the market, you know, this year. Some of these companies too. Well, I, I'll save the discussion. I was going to just mention operating leverage. That will put people asleep. But it's just a lot of these companies have, like, the more they cut cost, the more money they make. Because their revenues are such that you know they're coming in month after month, and um, and they have some scalability. Look, you and I aren't giving any recommendations to buy or sell any of these. It's just you know you got to look at this stuff. I, I do want to transition though, Jay, and talk a little bit about something else I saw on CNBC. See this? I, I do occasionally watch CNBC. I don't knock it all the time. No, you, you do. I know. I I just think you hate yourself for it. I just don't know why. I have my issues with CNBC. I do. And I'm and I'm not sure. Like if you listen, if you watch all day, every day, and you just listen to what everybody says, what's a big deal one day isn't a big deal another day. But I guess we watch sports shows though. I mean, like if I'm sure you've been watching the Florida Panthers, Jay. I know you're a huge hockey fan. Florida has a hockey team. They won uh, fifth longest game I'm ever. I'm kidding. I do that night. to you every time you bring it up. Yes, <laughs> yes, I know. Sorry. Fifth longest game ever. They played seven periods. joke for by now. Even I'm bored of that. I know, I know. But the, the thing is, like, all right, so C- CNBC, though, I just, I, I don't know. All right, so, but I just see this stat, and it's a size. This is Carter Worth, who I like. He's a technician. And it's the size of the top two S&P 500 stocks is now 15%. That means the weighting of those two stocks within the index. So Apple and Microsoft are about 15%. And it's the largest concentration of the top two companies on a weighted basis since 1978, when it was AT&T and IBM. I'll also just mention that the top 10 S&P 500 average weighting is about 20%, or now 30%. So I, I don't know, Jay, thoughts on this? I, I think I, I don't think you you I think you not buried the lead here, but I don't think you expressed how unique this is. So the top two out of five hundred stocks now make up fifteen percent of the entire index. That's that's what you're saying, and it hasn't been that high since 1978. Is that is am I? Those are the data points you just told us. Yep. Okay, I think that's a pretty big deal. Right. To, to, to think about that. And by the way, uh, you want to tell us what the top two stocks were back in 1978? I bet you know that. Oh, I think I, I think I said that already. Maybe we have a delay or something. AT&T and IBM. There you go. There, AT&T <laughs> and IBM. Um, wow. I'm gonna, what's AT&T start, chart look like right now? How, how about that stock? What it's done? Um, not to bust on that. If you like dividends, it's good stuff, I guess. Not doing great. They cut their dividend. Yeah, they did. They cut. They, they did cut their dividend. Yeah. Um, look, so I, I just think it goes to the just show how concentrated right now the market is on a handful of stocks. Um, interesting that Apple, we already said, doesn't really have any AI. At least they haven't made it very public. Any uh, you know any AI products out there? But you know what they're going to do, right? They'll just go buy one, right? They'll be like, oh, we need to add one of these. To all of our users, and that'll give their their stock another another boost, right? Um, yeah, it's kind of amazing the concentration that we're seeing in the market right now. 
Uh, but again, is it a bad thing? Yeah, concentration is not the greatest thing in the world, Derek. Let's 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 just hit on that, right? You and I talk all the time with individuals that have concentrated positions. Now, I wouldn't consider 15% for an individual to be a concentrated position, but for the broader markets to have so much of it tied to the movement of, you know, one CEO or one board or one, you know, bad political uh, tweet. Nobody wants to be Disney these days, but I don't know, bad meaning bad for the company's relationships. I'm not t- taking a political position on that. It impacts the stock price, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Anything like that. You remember when uh, the CEO of Intel got in trouble for having a, you know, Intel was the biggest chip maker, or the best chip maker, top of the world. CEO had a relationship with somebody in his organization, stock dropped 10% almost overnight. So it's one of those things that I think the concentration is not the, it's not great. I love that winners win and you and that they help drag everything higher. But for two stocks to be 15% of the uh, of the S&P, I don't think that's the greatest thing ever. All right. Let me take a contra side of this since I just feel like doing that. Yeah. Apple and Microsoft have free cash flow. They have earnings. And we just talked about their forward PEs. Although they are in the high 20s, right? If I just looked at my thing, right? Yeah, I mean, it, we just told you that uh, Microsoft is 28.6, Apple 27.2. Those are high. But remember, in March of 2000, there were companies in the top 10 of the S&P, certainly in the top 10 of the, the Qs, the NASDAQ 100. I mean, Sirius Satellite was the highest weighted company in March of 2000 in the Qs. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think if it was going to, it's like the, uh, the scene from uh, Road to Perdition with Paul Newman and, uh, and Tom Hanks, uh, when Tom Hanks is about to, to off him and he said, I'm, I'm glad it's you. Like if you want to have con- concentration, it seems like of the, and I don't know what these stocks are going to do, but it's just, you, you get my point. Like I'm glad it's these two and not a company that's a thousand times forward PE and it's, it's going nuts with no earnings. I don't know. Am I wrong there? You're not wrong there. Like, you're right. I'm glad it's you. Microsoft is up 33% this year. So that's a lot for that stock to move in a single year. You could probably argue their, you know, free cash flow and all the wonderful fundamental data points that you just pointed out don't support that kind of growth with the uh, environment that we're in. I feel like we haven't said the R word at all yet on this uh, on this episode. Derek. Oh, just so, wait, Jay. Oh, it's coming. I know. I know you can't <laughs> leave it alone. So we'll uh, look. It's you're right. If you had to, I, so I'm not gonna. I will agree with your counterpoint, but I think you would also agree. And you don't have to if you don't want to. That concentration just adds risk and volatility to a portfolio. Another contrapoint. Just because they're this concentration now doesn't mean they have to crash or go down to deconcentrate. The other stocks in the index could come up and become leaders again. Absolutely. And totally possible. That is, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's definitely. By the way, at and IBM, at in 1978 was kind of a monopoly. Like if you wanted a phone, you had to go to the, the telephone store and they would give you one. Remember, you couldn't even like buy your own. And if you had long distance, you had one company to go to. It was them. So 
I, I believe they were legally uh, declared a monopoly and forced to break up. So not kind of, they were. Um, yeah, I'm saying that with a little sarcasm. <laughs> I go back yep. though, and this is the thing with indexing too. So you look at AT&T and IBM, and if you, let's say in 1978, you say, oh yeah, I can't believe these two companies, as they grow, the concentration in the index is going to get worse and worse because they'll keep growing. They're the biggest companies. And what you find is that sometimes the biggest companies, the most obvious companies, aren't the ones that they keep going. So we've said this before as well. You know, if I correctly predicted 25, 30 years ago that everyone would have a cell phone, what's, what's the thing? Uh, it would probably be you'd want to own Nokia stock and it would all be on a, a Microsoft operating system. And we know now that it's iPhones, it's Android phones. And do, do people still buy Nokia phones in the U.S.? I don't know if they do. Oh, I don't know about the U.S., but they exist. Really? They do? All right. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, let's, let's say they do. Yep. All right. So that that's kind of uh, it. 15%, by the way, is, remember I said the, the top 10, the average is 20%. So just two is almost at the average for the top 10. So we'll see how that resolves itself. Jay, you couldn't go without mentioning the R word, recessions. Quick thing from uh, uh, Schwab that was out. And there's a thing called the, the leading economic indicator. It's a really an amalgamation of different things like real retail sales, unemployment, all these things. And they call them the leading economic indicators. Jay, uh, looks like 20, how many months in a row is this? Uh, I should have written 13 months in a row of declines in uh, leading in economic indicator. And why is this important? It's important because in the past, when you have this many months, we've been in a recession. Now, doesn't mean we're not already in a recession and the NBER will tell us in nine months that we were in a recession, but um, I don't know. This time could be different, right? Uh, yeah. Look, I, when I'm looking at this chart that you sent and it, it is, you know, again, I love when you show things that, you know, are obvious that we're going to eventually have a recession declared in this time frame. I mean, I guess you could have made the argument back in you know, early 07, maybe when you had eight months of declines and the recession wasn't declared till 08. Although I, now that I say those numbers, it was really, there were some warning signs in 07 to watch out for, right? The Bill of Bear Stearns, the HELOC contraction with firms like E-Trade, stuff like that. So yeah, um, if this was the Bible, you would be bracing for a recession. So, I mean, Let's let's I always try to tie that to to the market. Right. Uh, I would say you and I could make a fair argument that we have already been in a recession. We've seen an earnings recession. We've seen certain asset classes like housing uh, experience a recession. Right. So there are areas of the economy that, you know, would probably already qualify. I think the thing that's keeping us out of the obvious is the labor market. And that continues to be strong. Uh, you know, Derek, if I apply this to the equity markets, I'd love to, you know, see this graph over the S and P to see 
when we, you know, had made the turns. Like, I can't tell when this spiked in 09 or in 2000, early 2001, whether we were already on the rebound in the equity markets or not. Mm. Hard to All tell. Right. More, yeah, I'll have to take a look at that. Because it's kind of like in 2009, remember the PE ratios went ballistic because there were no earnings, but we were already coming out of the bottom? Right. Maybe that's the thing here. Maybe this is what it's saying. We, we didn't go to zero earnings, right? But the, obviously, this is very different than that recession. But yeah, yeah, maybe that is what I'm saying. The other thing, I, so let me flip side on this one. So I've been, you know, always talk about this and I always say, like, who cares a little bit about the recession? What's that really mean? But um, I think it's worth, and this, I'm going to throw you, a, a, you know, a curveball or an unplanned question. You know, when you think about certain markets, certain asset classes that are going to be challenged by an economic slowdown and higher rates, doesn't this kind of put a focus on, say, corporate debt, especially, say, like high yields when they've got, you know, when when has everybody got to refinance the most, the majority of them, right? There's a lot coming up in 2024, 2025 is a big chunk of them. Don't we think that if you were to kind of connect the dots here outside of the equity market, you could have really a disconnection in the in the in the corporate debt markets. Yes and no, and I think you hit it on the head where they don't have to refinance. In fact, we had a a call with some of our our friends over at uh, uh, State Street, and you know, and nothing that they haven't put out publicly. But you know, it's uh, one of the things you see is that the refinancing the the debt refinancing wall doesn't happen. As you said, really not until 24, but really it's 25, 26, 27. Like the companies who needed to refinance already refinanced. They're already in lower rates. The default rates are not crazy right now. And I think this is helping profit margins. There are, you know, in the senior loan space where those are more floating. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen what companies have to pay come up. But we're, I don't know. I mean, it's... Maybe this isn't going to be an issue unless rates stay high and in a couple of years, if they're still high, then there's going to be a reckoning. But right now, companies are, I mean, think about anybody who's locked into a 30-year mortgage at two and three-eighths or two and three-quarters. Like, it's good. You're okay. You don't have to deal with the, the problems of, of higher rates right now because you already locked it in. So I don't know. I, I agree though, Jay. I, I think it's it's something to watch, but uh We'll see. We'll, we'll see if uh, the debt refinancing wall brings about any issues. Yeah, you know, let's uh, maybe maybe next uh, episode we could dig in a little bit into uh, has there been a change in default rates, those kinds of things. You know, it'd be interesting to kind of watch that chart. I haven't looked at it uh, uh, for a little bit. I think you're probably a little more familiar with it. Let's bring that to light and uh, we can maybe dig in a little more. Like, what are the things that if we really do have, you know, the recession that we think it could impact. Of course, we're really great at predicting. I know that uh, a little sarcasm there, but it'd be interesting to kind of point some of those things out. I, so on the flip side of that, I mean, how many talking heads are still saying recession for the second half of the year? Aren't we getting close to the second half of the year? Does it feel like there's this big economic crunch coming? Jay, you're opening up an hour's worth of content. And I know our, our time is limited today, but I will just say that this reminds me of, remember the, uh, is it Wiley Coyote? The 
You cross this line, you die. Okay, this line, you die. Okay, the recession's happening in third quarter of 23. No, 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 fourth quarter of 23. That was Elmer Fudd. That, I think that was Elmer Fudd. It was at Elmer? Yeah, it was yeah, like, oh, the end of, of 22. in the Roadrunner and, and Wiley Coyote. Like, was yeah, okay, Elmer. Elmer. But you know what I'm saying. Like, it's, oh, yeah, it's coming the end of 22. No, the first half of 23. No, 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 the second. Now it's 24. Soon it'll be 25. They'll eventually be right. Well, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Meanwhile, the NASDAQ's up 25%. Yeah. I mean, this is why you buy, you hedge. Uh, and I'll, I'll just, I'll kind of close this one out with everyone's thinking about the debt ceiling right now. I went back through chat GPT. Thank you, chat GPT. And I asked uh, it to, to give me a couple instances of debt ceiling crisis and what happened with the markets. 2011, Jay, the S&P fell about 17% from late July uh, when debates intensified to the first week of August of 2011. And afterwards, I believe the market had a worse month in September of 11. Uh, there was also the European debt crisis. 2013, the market dropped 4% and then rallied 7% after a debt deal. So I, that's my quick research on that. I'll let you know what happens this time in a couple months. How about that? Yeah, that sounds great. And we probably shouldn't even, you know, p- scratch that uh, itch about the debt ceiling at this point, huh? Nope, nope. All right, Jay, any recommendations besides Florida Panthers fever, catch it, seven over seven periods, four overtimes, and your beloved Florida Panthers beat the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, Jay? Wow, it was amazing. I should have seen it. Actually, I didn't realize there were that many overtimes there. Well, it would have been two in the morning. The game ended at, I think, 2.15 in the morning, your time. Oh, my goodness. So. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's quite the game. Uh, you know, uh, let's see. Recommendations. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a blank on this one, Derek. I, I didn't think we were going to have time to do the podcast today, so I haven't thought about it. If I, I guess I've heard, uh, I've been told to watch Citadel on Prime. I think... Stanley Tucci is in it. I think uh, the actor who played Rob Stark is in it. I heard Citadel worth watching. All right, Citadel. Yeah. By the way, people like the the recommendations. One of our uh, one of our clients uh, said thanks for the uh, poker face one that you gave. I think a month and a half ago. It was a while ago. That ended up being actually pretty good. The whole thing. I thought it was good. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. How about uh, you? What do you got? I actually got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we both got nothing. I was Can, up watching about, hockey till eleven o'clock last night. You know, wow. So. Apparently, yeah, that's that's good stuff. <laughs> all right, all right, Jay. Let's. Uh, we'll let everyone know what's going to happen with all this stuff when it happens. Uh, we'll let you know how the market's going to trade tomorrow and in, in a couple of weeks. So, all right, Jay. Thanks again for uh, for coming on and uh, enjoy your Florida Panther hockey. Thank you, Derek. I'm glad you're watching it. All right. See you, everyone.